Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 94 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Kate Hayes. Kate Hayes is the director of Direct Impact at Echoing Green. She oversees programming for emerging business leaders who are dedicated to realizing their full potential as agents of social change. She leads retreats, workshops, and immersive site visits focused on leadership development, purpose, strategic governance, philanthropy, and social entrepreneurship. Prior to joining Echoing Green, she worked as Director of Evaluation and Program Impact in the National Office of Minds Matter. Kate currently sits on the Executive Committee at the Northfield Mount Hermon School, where she serves as Vice President of the Alumni Council. Kate has written for the Stanford Social Innovation Review, Forbes, and across the web about issues relating to leadership, purpose, social entrepreneurship, and nonprofit boards. She holds a degree in behavioral neuroscience from Northeastern University. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Kate's diverse experience and work particularly in creating highly effective board leaders. We'll find out more about some of the work Kate is involved in to create positive social impact. And our millennial listeners are sure to get some valuable tips into entering the workforce as well. So Kate, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tom. So to kick things off, Kate, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to working in the social enterprise sector? Yes. So like many, my background and journey into the sector was a winding path, most certainly. I, When I was in school, I was studying behavioral neuroscience because I had always been really interested about human behavior and why people do the things they do, why they make the decisions that they make. And I also was a a pretty big science geek. So I wanted to bring those two things together Mm. and decided that I would use that as a launching point into medicine and go to medical school. While I was in college, I did a lot of volunteering and found myself spending several years volunteering on an organization called The Family Van, which was a mobile healthcare clinic working in Boston. And what I learned in that experience is that organization had been started by an Echoing Green fellow. And I had no idea what Echoing Green was. I didn't really know what social entrepreneurship was. Yeah. It was happening, but it was just around the time that it was starting to be named as social entrepreneurship. And that experience really got me to thinking about the type of impact that I wanted to have on the world and how I could create the biggest, most systemic change. Um, And so I said, why don't I try out working in the nonprofit sector and see how I like it and put my medical school applications on hold. And I did just that and ended up falling in love with the sector and with Uh, this group of people and community that I found that were trying to solve big systemic societal and environmental issues 
And I felt like I had found where I was meant to be. And so spent some time in the youth education sector for, for several years when ultimately I decided that, okay, I want to make a bigger impact. I should become a social entrepreneur. I think mm. a lot of us in this space have that, have that moment. And so I wrote a business plan and submitted it to Echoing Green. Yep. And made it pretty far in their process, but ultimately did not get the fellowship. But that ultimately led to me reengaging with the organization and ultimately joining the team about four years ago to really build a new program that uh, works with business leaders and supports our social entrepreneurs at Echoing Green. And so um, I, it, it completely makes sense how the how the path uh, brought me here, but. Um, was not what I expected to be doing, but um, was glad to find my way. Oh, it sounds like you certainly have found your way, that's for sure. So your role then at Direct Impact focuses on transforming rising stars of the private sector into highly effective board leaders, the world's most innovative social enterprises. And you've just mentioned this program. So can you tell us a little bit more about it and how it achieves this? Sure. So when when I was starting the program, I was looking into the field to see what was happening, knowing that we wanted to work with business leaders and we wanted to support social entrepreneurs and had a, had a few ideas about gaps in the field. And one that really stood out was developing board members and how boards function, how effective or ineffective they are, and began to see that boards were not all that effective and that there was very few training programs that existed. So I stepped back and said, okay, is there a way that we could better train board members to really reimagine what board leadership could look like? And so with that, decided to launch the program and really take what's at the core of Echoing Green, which is leadership development, and apply it to that space. So Direct Impact is a cohort-based program. So we're bringing a group of people from across the private sector or across a particular company together to go through very intensive shared experience so that each person can really understand not only the type of organization that they want to serve on the board of, but how they more broadly want to make an impact in the social sector. And the program itself is really built on four key areas. So leadership development is, is the constant throughout the program. We're looking both at individual leadership. So what's my purpose? What's my mission? How do I show up? How do others perceive me? Yeah. As well as group leadership. So how do we, especially as the very unique team environment that is a board, how do we work together in the most effective way? Uh, the second area is around strategic governance. So legal and fiduciary responsibilities boards are important, but what's even more important is how the group of leaders show up and engage in the strategic conversations that they need to have in order to push the organization's mission forward. Mm. Third area is around philanthropy and fundraising. So ensuring that our future board members have been trained as fundraisers, they understand what sustainability looks like for nonprofits. And then the final area is social entrepreneurship and understanding how change happens. So since our primary demographic is coming from the private sector. Many of them have not worked within nonprofits. So we really want to expose them to the nuances uh, that it takes to, to really run and grow and help a nonprofit organization thrive so that as board members, they're able to have that mindset 
um, as they go in to make really important decisions for the organization. Mm. It sounds like a really, really interesting program. And you talk about these nuances now that they might need to learn to, to really get a board performing well. So you recently wrote an article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review called A Roadmap to Better Boards. So could you please share a bit more about your thoughts and insights from this article and outline what you believe nonprofit boards need to do to perform really strongly? Absolutely. One of the biggest challenges, and I think the big roadblock that can be overcome when it comes to board is diversity, equity, and inclusion on mm. boards. Uh, it's one thing to prepare a board that's in place to do really fantastic things and show up well, but you've got to have the right people in the room first. And currently, boards are not all that diverse. And the numbers have actually been going down when you look at racial and ethnic diversity. So that's what inspired me to, mm. to write this article. And, and it's something that we've been thinking about from the start and have been very intentional about how do we increase diverse talent pipelines onto boards, given that only 20% of nonprofit board members are people of color, 25% of boards are entirely white. And when you look at leadership positions, 90% of board chairs are white. So mm. there's something that can be fixed. And I think it's actually easier than we expect because the, the article really focuses on the three key actions that need to be taken. And the first is making the decision to become a more diverse board. And that sounds like an easy step, but it actually requires uh, the board to really think about what diversity means to them. It looks different for every board and to become very intentional on getting, getting to a place where their board looks the way they want it to. And I'm talking racial and ethnic, gender, socioeconomic, socioeconomic status, community stakeholder, things like that. Yep. Um, again, knowing that it's different for everybody. So after that decision is made and a shared definition has been created, recruitment is the biggest factor. We often recruit for board positions within our own networks and our networks tend to look like us. So boards need to create a strong role description, have a vetting process that is equitable for every person that raises their hand and says they want to join the board mm -hmm. and then really focus on getting that job description out into the field, into the world so they can recruit uh, who they want to recruit and who is going to help them really make the decisions and have the perspectives that are important. From there, when it comes to get, once you've had the right people come on board, you have to really build the infrastructure for them to all be successful. And this is when the inclusion part becomes really important. It's one thing to get them in the room, another to make sure that there's shared power and shared voices. Mm -hmm. So creating board evaluation and accountability is incredibly important. Um, evaluating your board members year after year on their performance, not just their fundraising performance, but how they're showing up in meetings, um, how they're engaging with the community that the organization is serving. Those things are really important. And then thinking about the facilitation of board meetings, which starts with getting very clear on what a board meeting should look like. And it's not running through updates for two hours. It can be much more interactive than that. Um, and making sure that there's strong facilitation in place. And then the final area is investing in that leadership because there's so few board training programs and training opportunities that exist. That's something that we want organizations to invest in, not just as their board's 
look new and are, are very diverse. Uh, but for any board, training is incredibly important. So making sure that you're building trust and building relationships amongst board members so that they're able to be a group that feels comfortable and safe to perform as they need to. Um, really thinking about group dynamics and what that looks like, that shared power. And then getting one of the things that I love to say is at, during this transition, boards have to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. There's a lot of change. It takes a lot of culture change mm -hmm. to take a board from where it is to a, a really exceptionally performing board. And there's going to be discomfort in that, uh, but really leaning into that and knowing that it's for the ultimate success of the organization. Yeah. Well, I think that's some really, really sound advice there. So more broadly then, how might we shift corporate mindsets from one which may prioritize economic uh, return and, and shareholder value to one which recognizes the social and environmental challenges that we're facing and behaves in a way then, even as a board, that creates shared value for our communities? Yeah, I, I think we're at an exciting moment in, from my perspective and as I work with corporations, more are starting to see the importance of that. Mm. And my vantage point, it really comes down to what employees are asking for and demanding. Mm. Um, as the younger workforce enters, they want companies that really care about that social and environmental impact. And they're not going to join companies. Many are not going to join companies if they aren't thinking about that. So the way I, I really think about it is building that employee engagement within. And I'm not talking about having more one day volunteering opportunities, but really developing their workforce to support them in supporting the missions that they care most about. And then bringing that culture of philanthropy to the company that we've started to see with some of the companies that we've been working with. And I think that is what has the potential to start to move the needle in that, in that company decision-making, because what we really believe at Equine Green and I really believe is that all social change happens through relationships. So I think that when you're able to get employees invested in the things they care about and supported by the company, it actually takes a lot of the work off of the company and allows the employees to build that culture of philanthropy, that social environmental as the bottom line mm. from within. Yeah, really, really interesting. So what do you believe then are the three most important traits of effective purpose-led leaders? Oh, this is such a great question. And I'll say first, I think that there is no one definition of leadership. Hmm. But so I, I think with that, the first is self-awareness and understanding who you are, how you want to show up in the world, what you care most about, getting really clear on those things. Hmm. Um, both your strengths, or as I like to think of them, your superpowers and the places that you get stuck. But having that deep understanding of yourself, um, I think, is the most important thing. And yeah. that ultimately leads to helping you on the journey to purpose. Um, I think the second most important thing for purpose-driven leaders is storytelling. When I think about all social change happening through relationships, that means that 
social change happens through stories. So I think for leaders to be able to influence others through the stories they tell, um, our spheres of influence, there's, there's so much opportunity to impact those that are closest to us. So the way we tell stories and share what we're learning in the field is incredibly important. Mm. And the third, I think, is the ability to be present. I think, I think a lot about the fact that we're now in a world where everybody's moving so fast and, um, and we don't give ourselves and others the gift of being present in the moment enough. And I think in order to really move the needle on some of these issues, we have to be present in board meetings. We have to be present in conversations with others that we agree with on the issues that we disagree with, um, with our colleagues, with our family and just being there and being present, yeah. I think, is incredibly important for purpose-driven leaders. Mm, I think it's some really, really great advice there. So what are some of your favorite tools or processes that you use with leaders to help them turn their challenges into opportunities? Yeah, so the first thing that I'll say is giving time and space uh, can really free up the mind a lot to to figure out challenges that somebody's going through. So much of direct impact is space where the cohort is together and they're creating their own community, they're creating their own insights. Um, and so my favorite process is almost no process, but it requires mm. getting out of your day-to-day um, and really giving yourself time and space to be present and think through some of these challenges. And I think also rethinking the way you're developing relationships in that time. The very first question on the very first day that we bring together a direct impact cohort, and I also do this in, in broader trainings, we have people pair up and they each have 60 seconds to share something that's bringing them joy right now. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine there's a lot of surprised faces and I thought we're in a board training, what's going on. Um, But it's amazing how when we connect in to ourselves and to what we care about as humans, that puts us in a different place to be able to think through the challenges that we're facing. So I think that's one. Um, And there's lots of questions that you can ask in pairs, like what's bringing you joy right now? What is your superpower or that thing that you're uniquely good at, great at? Mm. Um, Having coaching is what I've found to be one of the most incredible tools for problem solving. I really believe that every problem that exists for a person, they know the answer to. I just try to facilitate um, them getting to that answer. So whether it's individual coaching, uh, which is something that I do a lot of, or creating group coaching experiences Mm -hmm. uh, so that the power of peers can help. Um, But that just requires deep and intentional questioning um, and curious, clarifying questioning uh, to elicit insights from you um, as opposed to somebody else giving advice. Mm -hmm. So I think that using that coaching process for anybody can be incredibly helpful. Um, And the third that I'll say that will sound simple, but from a neuroscience perspective, it works um, from a human behavior uh, perspective. It works is just tapping into breathing, especially during transitions. So let's say you're going into a brainstorming session. There's a big problem that you want to solve. Take 10 seconds to take a few deep breaths to get into that moment 
And I can almost guarantee that that you'll be more likely to solve any challenge when you when you're intentional about moving into that space and that mindset that you need to be in in order to do so. Mm, some really really clear advice there. That's that's fantastic. So if we're to change the focus to millennials now, then you've written a number of articles in Forbes on millennials, and one of them was called 12 Ways Millennials Can Increase Their Emotional Intelligence at Work. So as millennials become an active part of today's workforce, what advice would you have for those which would like to pursue a career in a social enterprise or non-profit? For millennials, so much of finding a path into social impact is embracing the fact that it's going to be winding. It, there's no there's no perfect formula. I get questions a lot about, well, what should I major in in college? And what does that first job need to look like? I think major in what you care most about. Uh, major in something that interests you. Every Everything you could possibly study is going to be applicable to some sort of career in the social impact space. Mm. I really believe that. And I think then getting really clear on this notion of context and content. We think about this in the board space, but I think it's really important in the career space too. And that's around, it's easy to get stuck in, I care so much about education. So I have to go and find a job at an education-focused organization or in a school. Um, That's an important starting place and getting clear on what that mission, that personal mission is. But what's equally important is the context. So actually, I'm really interested in operations and strategy, and I I want to figure out how to make things better. Start there um, and start in what that great role looks like, because then you can learn the skill set at a job that has that offering available, that, that open job position, and you can then begin to bring that into whatever issue area you you are working within. Um, so that's that's one piece. And I think the second is don't be afraid to try things out. Um, and I do think that there's a lot to be said about staying in a role longer than it's comfortable, perhaps. Uh, we're seeing millennials job hop, and there are at times – um, roles that you're really not happy in and um, are are actually pretty miserable in, and it's okay to leave. But I, I do think there's a lot to be said for staying beyond your comfort zone, um, because I think there's a lot to learn, especially um, when you go beyond what you think is is your finishing point. Um, and then finally, knowing that your day job is one piece of the impact that you're going to have. I really believe that work is more than what we get paid for. So Mm. while you might work in an organization and might not feel like you're having as much impact and being as purpose driven as you want, remember that there's a whole lot of, lot of time outside of work that can be spent really pushing, pushing the needle forward on the issues that you care most about. Mm, That's some fantastic advice. So are there any particular organizations or initiatives that you've come across lately, which you believe are creating this really positive social change that, that you think may be inspirational to the listeners? This is such a hard one for me, uh, working at Equine Green, where we have so many incredible organizations. Mm. Um, so I think the the first thing I would say is whenever I'm looking for inspiration, I'll go to equinegreen.org slash fellows and look at our newest class of fellows. Uh, we just brought on uh, just about 30 new organizations uh, this month. 
that are that are having incredible change. Um, it's it's hard for me to pick fellow favorites, but I'll share maybe one or two um, that I do think have really unique um, ideas and are, are solving problems in a really amazing way. Mm. Uh, the first is African Entrepreneur Collective. They are working in Rwanda and they have the fund- fundamental belief that every problem that exists in Africa has a solution that already exists in Africa, which I think given the way we think about international development is a really compelling way to think about their work. And they're investing in local entrepreneurs, um, everything from rice farmers to people working in transportation to, to teachers um, and educators. And I think that that work is so incredible um, that they're doing there. The second that I'll say that inspires me is Drive Change, which is working in New York City, where I'm from. And the founder, Jordan, is using the food industry and specifically food trucks to support returning citizens, youth um, who are coming out of incarceration, teaching them the skills that they need uh, to work in the food industry and to be able to come back into society and be set up for success instead Mm -hmm. of being set up for failure. So I could go on for for hours, uh, but I I do think that there's a lot to be said by just going onto our site. You can search by what issue area you care most about or what geography, um, and there's certainly a lot of inspiration there. Mm, Fantastic. I'll leave a link in the article there. So to finish off then, could you please recommend a few great books or articles that you think would inspire the listeners? Yes. So a couple that I've been reading lately um, that I've really enjoyed. This one came out a little over a year ago. Radical Candor by Kim Scott, I think, is a fantastic book for anybody in the workplace and especially those working within social sector organizations. Just thinking about how we give feedback to our to each other, mm-hmm. um, because I think when we get that right, we're able to um, to do a lot of things. I just finished reading Measure What Matters mm-hmm. about OKRs, um, and that's something that cuts across the private and social sector, and there's some great uh, thinking about how the Gates Foundation uses these objectives and key results. I think that's really phenomenal for anybody to think about. And then I have to say anything by Brene Brown. Um, I find a lot of inspiration and a lot of um thought-provoking things about looking within to figure out who I want to be in the world. Um, one of her recent ones, Braving the Wilderness, is is top of mind, but I, you you really can't go wrong with, with anything that she's written or, or any video of her that you can watch. Uh, so I think those those ones are, are pretty great places for some inspiration. Fantastic. Well, there's some great books there. And I think in general, you provide some really, really great advice today, Kate. So thanks so much for sharing your insights and time and experience. We greatly appreciate it and we'll very much look forward to following your journey as as you continue on your way. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's our pleasure, Kate. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.